0: What a scream, what a screamer!
1: Arsenal proved players were the problem by finally getting a point by removing one from the pitch. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Gunner. Hey, look, people have been saying, is it the coach? Is it Edu? Is it the owners? Is it the players? Well, we got our first point at home in five games by having fewer of the players on the pitch. So maybe, maybe the players are the issue. Maybe if we play Everton with nine men and Chelsea with eight men and the fewer players we have out there, the fewer of them can be bad and the results can improve. It's worth a try. Uh, we are going to tell you how to shave your privates later, so I, I, I'm assuming that's the only reason you've tuned in. Um, I've been listening to the Tuesday Club. They're back. And uh, lots of Manscaped content there. So I now feel that I have the pressure to uh, even more expertly explain how to remove hair from your uh, your private areas. But that's for Anon. For now is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. At pause With my pants. Pause. hello. Hello. Really? That threw me off. you doing, <laughs> doing Clive's thing? That's how, how out of tune with things I am. Woohoo! Yeah. Thank you. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter. At Hello, Tim. Woohoo! No! <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> Hello there. stealing my headlines recently. <laughs> uh, okay, now I'm totally fucked. But, um, <laughs> Tim, we're going to get a little more from you today because it's been a while since you've been on and, and a lot has happened. I, I just want to really, really quickly give my personal journey with this um, because that's what everybody is tuning in for. Look, I did the hot mic live commentary yesterday. And the thing that's weird about hot mic is usually I'm on Twitter during the games, not like endlessly, but I'm on, I'm sort of seeing how people are reacting and I'm joining in when you're on hot mic, two things happen. One, you're describing every single event of the game. So you're very, very focused on every single event. You have to be, cause you're describing what you're seeing Two, I can't be on Twitter. So I have mm. no sort of concept of how the performance is being received. And after Twitter, uh, after Twitter, after Hot Mike, I went on Twitter and sort of explained that I was actually probably more angry about this game than maybe even the Burnley game, which we'll get to later, and the response on Twitter was disagreement, and as always on Twitter, it was respectful, it was polite, it was people uh, it- engaging with me about why I might have felt that way. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It was a lot of people telling me that I'm a hot take artist and uh, that I don't really feel that way, which, fine. We will get into why I feel that way. Unfortunately, I took that energy to the instant reaction pod for patrons and sort of unburdened myself angrily, uh, and may have over overstated my point there, out of a, a an effort to get back at the evil people who were mean to me on the internet. Uh, so that was sort of my journey. Uh, it's now kind of marinated in my mind, and I think I'm in a position to explain. I have to admit, I had a WhatsApp chat with WhatsApp chat with Andrew Arsblog. That kind of gave me a little perspective and, and helped me, you know, sort of see why he was feeling okay about it and where where maybe my my actual frustrations were. So I'm really excited to discuss this game because I think this was a game of three distinct periods: the period before they mm-hmm. scored, where we were very bad. The period between Mm -hmm. the goals where I think we were actually quite good and maybe aren't giving ourselves enough credit for it. And the period after we equalized where I think we were as bad as we have been in the Arteta era and where I think people are being too generous. Mm -hmm. So Tim, let's first talk about that opening period. And uh, are you at a point where you have any way to discuss Arsenal football club without defaulting to confidence? Because the way these players play seems incompatible with what their talent level is. And yet it's become so repetitive. Southampton had a plan. They executed their plan. We didn't seem to have a real answer for it. And I'm not really sure how to explain it because I don't, I think the players aren't very good, but I don't think they're that terrible. So how did you feel about that opening mm-hmm. period before their goal where we just really couldn't, you know what it, what it was, Tim? It wasn't that we weren't executing the tough stuff. We weren't executing the simple stuff. Scuffed passes, passes yeah, yeah. to no one, passes out of bounds, clearances that you know were being hacked, uh, shanked and things like that. How do you explain just the inability now to do, to do the basic stuff effectively?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot about confidence in there. So uh, I've, I've listened to all the, the podcasts I've not been on and and, uh, and all, all of them really, really good. And I, I have a take on, on uh, yours and Clive's discussion, Elliot. But um i, I it, it's definitely you're right like this this squad is not this bad and you know uh, i think it was henato uh, on uh, on twitter who who posted um he just posted a clip of the first goal against man city in the fa cup semi final i think he just put something like it's the same players like wh- where is where is this gone um you know we we know that the, that they can they can pass the ball to each other um you know, at least competently. Um, and and I was thinking during the Burnley game as well. I'm with you on the Burnley game. I, I think that game was a little bit a team that's down on its luck and a team that's down on its confidence. And, you know, I, I think we would have squeezed out, not not an emphatic, brilliant win. I think we'd have squeezed out a win in that game had, you know, Granit Xhaka not had one of his um, look at how much I care moments, aren't I, great. Um, <laughs> and Look at me, I'm doing yeah, this and, for
1: the team. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. For the, for the team as he strolls down the tunnel again. Um, And, and, and I think you're totally right as well in that, like even Burnley's goal, like they weren't pressing or pushing for that. And, and it's an own goal. Like, that's just, I know this is kind of a logical fallacy, but that's just the kind of shit that happens when you're down on your luck. You know, Um, I did think that about the Burnley game. I, like I agree with Clive's assessment on the instant reaction pod. I think we were waiting for something bad to happen in this game before we got started. Um, and, and, and so the thing I was trying to distill during the Burnley game is I definitely like there's definitely low confidence there, right? And during some recent games, I've been thinking to what extent is this like low confidence or you know confusion about what players are being asked to do and things like that. And I, I just haven't quite had—I um, haven't quite had that sense I got, you know, at the end of the Emery reign, for example, where I was just like, "Okay, I'm not, I'm not necessarily convinced these guys hate the manager. I just think they're confused and they don't know what to do anymore, and they've kind of given up on the idea that anything's ever going to become clear for them." And and I don't have that yet. Um, and and I've seen particularly the way we've started second halves. Um, I, like I've seen some semblance, you know, I, I've seen, I think enough signs that this team is still, you know, invested in this manager um, as it were, but it, it just seemed to, it, I, I definitely think it's mainly confidence. And I do think that's perhaps something that was, that was missing a little bit from the, the Burnley pod discussion. Mm. Um, you know, the, the impact of low confidence, like it's, you know, you kind of, you go up the step. What was it? Arsene Wenger said about confidence. It's like you, you go up via the you that's it, you you go up via the stairs but you come down via a lift and you can tell that we're mm. like in the basement confidence wise, even if there are like tactical things happening and th- that's my daughter's um, contribution so in cute. the background. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Um getting involved with the family business. Um, <laughs> and, and Tim so is were...
3: moving the baby from one nipple to the other, that's why you heard it crying.
2: Paul rehearsed that pre <laughs> pre uh, pre pod, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, we, we should stop doing video for these things, shouldn't we? And um, <laughs> and and so like I think there was like a real, you could see that there was real low confidence there, but there was a reaction um of sorts, you know, and and I think what was it Abamyang said afterwards something about you know we're nervous and when you're nervous you do bad things, and and actually that that's um <laughs> that's I think that is the phrase that sums up this team for the last four or five games. Um, to be honest with you, because even when we've been kind of, well, I think more against Burnley, we've been more on top, and then just done something stupid to make the game more difficult for us. Yeah, and 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 that's that's really kind of, yeah, I I, I think you're right that there were three periods to this game, and and I, and I thought. You know, once we got the equaliser or or even when we came out for the second half again, I thought, okay, this this does, you know, because at halftime, I tweeted something like, I think we're in, you know, Arteta has 45 minutes to save his job territory. And I wasn't necessarily thinking or talking about the result. I was thinking if they do that again, like that performance, even if they lose, but they perform, you know, fairly well. Like that would, you know, save him. But I was thinking another forty five minutes like that and, and I think he might like I, I genuinely like I thought even Arsenal might think this isn't going anywhere. And there was a response, um, I think. So I, I think I would rule out, you know, the fact that these players have quit on the manager. Maybe they are a bit confused. Maybe they just can't do what he wants them to do. But I, I, I do think that confidence is a massive, massive part of this, and I think that's why you saw the last half an hour you did as well. And I'm sure we'll talk about that at length. That's
1: that's going to be the thrust of the pod, I think, because I think it's the area where I have the most confusion about how to how to think about it. And I, I think you made an important point about Burnley, Tim, which is that. In the context of our season, I think we have reached a point where we've stopped looking for performances and purely looking for results because we're so so (laughs) low. And I do understand that. But that Burnley game, if that came on the heel of 10 consecutive wins, we'd all be saying, we were going to win that if Shaka doesn't go off. It's bad luck. It's Shaka's fault. That was going to be our 11th win. We had that game. Um, But because we lose it in a run of losses, people just lost their mind. Myself included, understandably. (laughs) Vice versa, if this Southampton performance came on the back of 10 consecutive wins, I don't think people would be saying good battling point. I think people oh, would no, be saying it was a disgraceful performance. And again, <clears throat> I understand the context. You can't. Say, we aren't coming off the back of 10 consecutive wins. So in the context, any point is welcome right now. How we got there, though, the question for me that we're going to wind up talking about later in this pod is, was this an indication of turning a corner, of stemming a tide, or was this an indication of the direction of travel continuing to be down but just getting variance luck with the actual outcome, um, Paul. One thing that Tim talked about though is this, these are the same players, and you know wh- where the, the the slide is coming from. I think to some extent though, I, it is you know mediocrity is an interesting thing. Um, you, you know how you, you know I'm sure you do know this, Paul, because you read books by fascist dictators and you <laughs> you have your tastes well, are unconventional. <laughs> um, but like you know the story of like boiling a frog. Mm. Uh, no? That'd be fun, because then I could tell you. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, let me tell yeah, you. Yeah. It's basically yeah, that, like, very much so. if if you put a frog in, in like, cold water and turn it up and boil the water, the frog will just, like, boil it. I think it's a frog. will just boil to death. But if you put a frog in boiling water, it'll hop out. The point being that, like, you normalize to deteriorating situations to the point where they're literally killing you and you don't notice it. I mean... That might even be relevant in the pandemic, right? How quickly we've normalized to being stuck in our homes, wearing masks, not being able to see each other, and just getting on with our lives. But like, Mohamed Elneny is an example for me. This is a player who everybody a couple seasons ago would have fully acknowledged is not the level we need, is not the caliber of player to take us forward, is not a player who has a future at the club. He comes back from a season away. We've slid so far down in, in quality and caliber, performance and technical level, that now he is a preferred piece of the midfield. And I think this game was just a little reminder that this is the same Mohamed Elneny, just because he looked good in one game opposite. You know, it reminds me of Francis Cochran. Francis Cochran looked good against Manchester City in one game opposite Santi Cazorla. And from then on, there was this myth of, of Francis Cochran. I think there's a bit of a myth of Mohamed Elneny from a good game he had standing next to Thomas Partey. But the fact is, Mohamed Elneny is pretty limited, and I thought this game, Paul, was kind of a, a back-to-reality about the kind of midfield we have, and especially a player like Mohamed Elneny. So do you, for me, this game and our slide is all about midfield, the technical level in midfield players that can't move it with tempo, can't progress it with urgency, can't hold it under pressure, and and really can't make the critical impact when the environment is is anything other than just perfect for them, like a Thursday night game. Um so for me, it's about the midfield in particular. This game, I look at Mohamed El as an example of where that acceptance of mediocrity comes in. And I am I being too harsh on El or do you think that there's some fairness there in terms of my appraisal of the midfield?
3: Uh, I think you're being a little harsh. I basically agree with your scenario there. Uh, you nearly totally disru- disrupted the conversation by throwing Francis Coquelin in I, there. I know you you, you. you need to
1: rush to his you defense. Can see. <laughs> But, but yeah, can we move you, on? You can can we we already you know. Like about
3: him. We've had the argument. We've had it yeah, so many well, I'm, times. I'm going Just to keep say going. 15 seconds on him. There sake. is nothing average about Francis Coquelin. <laughs> he did not have <laughs> one game man, against Manchester City in which he popped. He popped in many games. Now, why would that be? Could he do it without uh, Cazorla? Many think not. But he, he, whether he was good or bad, whether it's a good game or a bad game, he was not average. He had superpowers and he had massive flaws, whereas the antithesis is of that is El Neni. Apart from once every four years or when Halley's Comet comes through, he hits a thunder bastard from the halfway line. Uh, outside of that, he is the end. He is, um, if you want to call the, it the five out of ten solid. player at everything. <laughs> Sorry, uh, broke up a little oh, bit. Oh, sorry. There yeah, you yeah, know, I was just saying, like, like
1: the the perfect example of more of a five out of ten player at everything. Yeah, yeah, like
3: always, you, you can bet. Now the thing is, I w- where I think you've been a little harsh is he can also be a six and a half out of ten player uh, when he has a bit of confidence, a bit of love, blah blah blah. I think we've seen some of that, but it still doesn't fundamentally change your 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 uh, summation that he is not the level that our midfield should be should be at. He's a good-ish player, but he's not a good-to-great player. Um, boiling Frogs and um, uh, uh, concept, I think that's right, I, but I guess I'm not struggling with that as much. I, I kind of thought we were all on the same page, but then I'm not ar- out there arguing with people at the moment about it. Like, we're not very good, and we're getting a little bit worse all the time, And but that only seems kind of, Natural to me, given what we kind of know is going on and what we see on the pitch. And I I'm not pulling I'm pulling my hair out about it because we seem to be going in a downward slope. But it doesn't cause consternation for me. Like everything that's happening seems entirely understandable, given the kind of slide we're on. We need some things to break our way. At the end of this game, something broke our way, which is good. Uh, As you intimated, it doesn't mean we've even begun to turn a corner. Um, I think Clive made a great point that, like, we started this game waiting for bad things to happen, like a a beaten dog. And, like, we needed, we kind of needed to go down a goal before everybody said, oh, shit, right, let's all, let's jump in this together. Let's go for it. Uh, you, you know, you didn't have anything to protect then, Right. The the alternative was not going for it. And, and like there was just nothing to protect. So they just went for it. They tar- started taking pot shots. There was clarity as to what was going on. The worst situation in the world was when we're tied because the guys are like, I don't trust you. I don't trust me. I'm not fully confident or even partially confident that the manager is giving us the plan that makes us successful. So I will try, but I won't try super hard because I don't want to be the guy who gets red carded, screws up, makes the mistake. Everybody starts not trusting themselves, anybody else. And you kind of, so we're until we have some good fortune, not brilliant play, or the manager comes up with some super duper plan he's been saving for this moment. I mean, I guess you're going to struggle a lot more with consternation than I am. I'm kind of seeing uh, what I expected in the Southampton game at each stage, but none of this surprised me. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying I could have guaranteed you it would turn out like this, but I, I, I don't know what the dilemma, The you know, we started cagey and scared against a good team who went a goal up that clarified things. There was no other option then than everybody to go for it and trust each other because the alternative was not doing that. We got our goal, went down a, a, a player, and then we busily shit the bed as, as I would have predicted we would yeah. have because we've been through it so often.
1: Yeah, look, I it's not so much that I expected different. It's that I think there is a willingness to say the players are shit and we're shit and yet, there's not a willingness to be honest about the individuals. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, the players are shit. We're shit. But no, Eddie and Ketty is good. He he could come good. We should keep him. Mohamed El No, he's good. He he's got a good engine. El back in the midfield, mate. Yeah, that's what we need. And like, you know, I feel like at every level we it's acknowledge not a the squad. Great time to
3: assess them, though, is the problem.
1: No, but the, none of them are good enough, and that's why we're bad. And I just I just think that like. If we're going to agree we're bad, we need to agree the players are bad. And the players are very, very bad. And I, I think in this game, we sort of hit a nadir like in Obama some levels. But like, Yang
3: is terrible at the moment, but he's not terrible.
1: He might be getting bad. Like, that's something we're going to have to come to terms with. Like, he might be getting
3: worse. Yeah, but but, but just a couple of months ago, he was a very, very good player. Now, he may be uh, in a gradual decline, but he's not terrible. There's a massive no, he's trading not terrible. when you're bad. I agree. When confidence is gone. When people aren't get, I mean, we're not getting them the ball. We're not getting them in space. You know, Eddie and Katia is a really good, I suspect, uh, penalty box finisher. He never gets the ball in the penalty box. He played a nice little pass in in the build up to but this Paul, goal. But do you see what you're
1: doing? Players like, like, are not getting into the
3: positions where they can shine. You're,
1: you're doing what I'm saying. I view, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I view as the problem, which is we're willing to say the team is shit. And yet, when it comes to the individual assessment of all the players, we have an excuse for why that player's not shit. The team is bad. We're not playing well. We're not getting them in the position where they need to. All of these players are bad. All of them. None of these players are good. They all have to go. None of them are taking us where we want to go. If every single player at Arsenal left today, we'd be no worse with eleven new players. They are all bad, and like Aubameyang is the least bad of This is where you get them. into trouble. But they're all it bad. Okay, all right. Tierney. No Tierney's fine it makes and Gabriel's sense to fine. Say like, they're 90% it makes no sense to say they're all bad. Ninety percent of them are
3: never top four quality. Who's good? That is not the same as who's any all good. Bad? Oh come on. We're at we're at 15th or 16th in the table. That's the performance of this team. That is not the level of all the players. Some of them should be playing for a club that's 15th or 16th. Some of them should be playing for a club that's Uh, seventh, eighth, ninth. You're absolutely, no, you're right, that's fair.
1: This is still less, we are less than the sum of our parts right now. You're, I cannot disagree with that.
3: You're right. I think what I- They're not all bad players. It's just, you can't have proper conversations, if that's your starting point, to say all the players are just bad. You just can't have a proper conversation. You're right, it's hyperbole,
1: and it's not helpful. I I hold my hand up, you're right. What I mean more is, I suspect that there may be two or three players in the squad, full stop, that are a level that when we want to be a top four Champions League team would at at where they are right now in their career, right now, are at that level. And and so is 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 it fair to say these are all terrible players? No, of course not. But like do I think Eddie and Ketty's career will wind up being top of the championship roughly? I do. Do I think Mohamed El Neni's career is top of the you know, Turkish league or something roughly. I do. Do I think Danny Ceballos is a mid table La Liga player? I do. Do I think, you know, and I can go on and Shack is a bottom third of the Bundesliga player. And David Luiz is a player who needs to retire. And Rob holding is a lower end of the premier league table. And, and Ainsley Maitland Niles is a lower end of the premier league table. Play- you know, I could go on and on and on. And I think none of them are as bad as collective. We, we look right now, but with the possible exception of a few of them, Maybe a tyranny, maybe a Gabriel, maybe a, 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 an Aubameyang, certainly a Saka. I don't know how many go into a top four team right now and are at the level needed. Now, Tim, as this game goes on, I think a couple of interesting things happen. The first is their goal. And I don't know that it needs a lot of analysis other than to say, like, look, Gabriel had a very, very, very bad game. I refuse to kick this guy. He is young. He's a new signing. He's stepped in and been a hero all season. And we basically asked him to play every single game on a high wire. And he has, for the most part. And he got it wrong this game. Everything he did was wrong. I I mean, for the red card, when Theo Walcott is sticking his butt into you and turning you like he's peak Diego Costa, like, okay, you had a bad game. I'm not going to kill him for that. I thought Tierney and maybe even Saka for the goal need to have a look at themselves because I'm not sure that Tierney is alive to the danger I'm not sure why he goes so centrally and Saka's just switched off and doesn't see the runner at all I mean how do you feel about just letting Gabriel off the hook here a bit for a bad day at the office because he's been a revelation he's young he's new I mean and and in terms of the, the goal itself all right he shouldn't step up there but do you think Tierney and Saka have to do better in that situation
2: yeah, I, I think you can see maybe one of the downsides of having the the kind of the hybrid players there because I, I don't think either of them really sorted out where they were supposed to be. It's fair point. I, yeah. I honestly I don't think Gabriel has been as good as people are saying. Um, I think I, like I don't think he's been bad. Don't get me wrong. I, this performance doesn't really surprise me though. Um, he uh, so to some extent and we have said this before like I think with a defender like that you're just going to have to take your lumps and accept they're going to get the odd red card and and probably give away the odd penalty a a bit like Koscielny in his early days because he's one of those kind of touch tight defenders and and that's what he does and and hopefully as he and so I'm not like worried about him because I think um you know hopefully like Koshelny he'll he'll learn you know his judgment will become better i do think he's had quite a lot of those moments to be honest i think hmm. we've cut him slack because he's new um he has you know he has been good he's had some very good games and um, because he could have when, had a double
3: yellow in at least one or two other games before yeah. Yeah. On the Arscast, they mentioned the, yeah. the
2: manchester
1: united game and he was very very lucky there certainly yeah
3: yeah yeah and
2: and frankly we're, we're not sick of him yet Um, We're not like we are a lot of the others. Um, You know, I I dare say if like, and and that, that, don't get me wrong, that makes sense. Like I was going to say if Mustafi puts in that performance, like everyone's furious. But of course, because we've seen that performance from Mustafi, you know, countless times, which is why why he's not playing. Well, that and because he won't sign a contract. Um, But... But yeah, so on, on one hand, I, I think you're right. Like, I, d- I don't want to kill him at all. And and also, I think there are a number of factors to take into consideration here that um, I don't think the plan was really for him to play alongside Rob Holding. Um, you know, we've had issues with defenders, both in terms of fitness and, and then there's David Luiz and, you know, Gabriel, the, the type of defender he is, if you're that type of defender, you really rely on communication. And if you don't really speak the language yet, um, that's you know that's an issue um and that's probably why well i think that's one of the reasons david Luiz should be playing next to him instead of rob holding um just just to kind of smooth that over until his english improves um so on, on one hand i'm i'm with you like i i, I don't want to kill him for it but at the same time I, like i do think this has been in the post i do think there's been some rash judgment from him and we're, we're probably charitable because he's new and also because he's visible you know he's, mm. he's a busy <clears throat> player he does stuff that you can see and you could appreciate so
3: um, i also yeah. think he's kind of taken on the superman role of covering yeah. for doing everything covering for everybody which is noble but unless you really have your shit together, you're you're going to do this yeah. or you're going to get that other red double yellow that he should have got at United, etc. He's, he's yeah. now trying to do a bit too much for everybody.
2: Yeah. And, and why does he commit that foul on Walcott on the halfway line? Because he looks back and he sees, oh, shit, there's a massive gap there. Like, mm. you know, it's, it's kind of. It, it is a it is a bit of desperation as well, but I think kind of understandable desperation, like his first booking, I, I don't want to kill him for kicking the ball away. I, I thought that was right because if you look at the way that was shaping up, Southampton, the, I think it was Che Adams had the ball down Quick free kick, and I think one pass would have unpicked us. <clears throat> yeah. Doesn't say a lot for our defensive organisation, but I, I was kind of thinking, yeah, all right, take that yellow card. I think that's that's a, that's a good yellow card to get. It's just you've got to be careful after that.
1: Yeah, and in general, I, I don't think there was a lot of help from the midfield. I, I, I think a lot of the things that were yeah. wrong with this game when it wasn't going well were down in the midfield just sort of abandoning Piled ship up. a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a better way to put it. And <clears throat> so, Tim, I'll stay with you just for a second because um. I actually think the interesting thing in this game is while a lot of the focus is going to be on the gritty way we held out for the draw down to 10 men, which I don't agree with, is the way we responded to going down the goal. Between the goals, we were quite good. Between the goals, we outpassed them. We outpassed them in the final third. We outshot them. We outperformed them massively in expected goals. Before the goal, we got outpassed, out final third, out XG, outshot. And obviously, we know what happened after the red card. But between the goals, we we played well. And again, all this is always grading on a curve. But I thought we put them under good pressure and we we scored a good goal and I, and I want to talk about the goal we did score with you a little bit, so it's interesting right It comes from the kind of triangle on the edge of the area that good clubs have mm-hmm. routinely right A winger slides it to a forward who plays it to another forward running in behind, and that forward finishes beautifully alone, you know, in the box. And it's it's just the kind of goal we used to create so much. I think of Owobi, Alexis, and Ozil, right, in those situations. Or, you know, maybe it was mm. it was Alexis, Giroud, and and Ozil, or, you know, or Theo, or whoever, you know, or Jack Wilshire running through. But here's the interesting thing. To get to that triangle, Bukayo Saka had to single-handedly dribble four guys off the wing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. we create a goal from the kind of pattern of play that we need more of But the problem is the way we create that pattern of play is Bukayo Saka having to basically put on a cape and a Superman outfit and get us into that position, and then we have to get a little lucky with, I think the Saka pass is intended for Aubameyang, who doesn't get it, which allows Nketiah to tap through to him. Great, you know, we'll take what we can get. But so do you think that's fair that 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 position, that kind of exchange of passes, small passes between the forwards around the edge of the box, is exactly what we've been crying out for but in that very same mm-hmm. move, you see the flaw in the team, which is that the only way we're able to get into that position is not through effective possession and and progressive passing, but through one young player taking it all on himself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What what we don't have in the team are, are like combinations and partnerships at the moment. We're chopping and changing central midfield partnerships because none of them work. We're chopping and changing centre half partnerships because none of them really work. Um, you know, we're chopping and changing formations because we we don't have. We don't have that combination. Um, One of the things I'd written about recently, like one of the things I am excited about looking at the composition of this squad is what the future of our left-hand side looks like. I think Tierney, Martinelli, Saka, that that's a triangle that could really do some damage for us um, in the coming seasons. Like, you know, Saka on the left side of a midfield three, maybe Martinelli mm. on the left forward spot with Tierney. Like, I can see those three, um, you know, I like, look, if they're half as good as Cole, Perez and Henri, that that would be lovely. But, you know, like that, that level of combination and we, we just don't have it. I thought this goal was really interesting for a number of reasons. First off, I think it kind of emphasised how, although Abameyang went back onto the left for this game, I don't think it was the same left. Um, that we'd seen before I think and, and I know Clive made this observation and it was also Adrian Clark did a good bit in this on the breakdown of the Burnley game how we're kind of you know we described Lacazette as playing that that number 10 role and, and that is kind of it but at the same time like Bamiang was coming short a lot in that Burnley game as well and Lacazette was going it was like one in one out one popping out um, to link play and one, the other one running in behind. And mm. I, and it almost looks more like a 4-4-1-1. One, one. And I think that's kind of what we were doing here as well. Um, Abamiang, you know, he was nominally on the left, but there there wasn't as much, I don't think, of this way out on the touchline stuff. I think he was tucked in much, much more. And often you saw him getting ahead of Eddie and sometimes. Um, and you could see that being more like, and and sometimes it would bamiyang had come short into that kind of number ten position, and Nketiah would be ahead of him. So, I I kind of think we went for the same but slightly different, and I think you saw it in that goal, like Nketiah and Abamyang are in a straight line. Um, while that kind of unfolds. And it could have just as easily gone the other way. It could just as easily have been Aubameyang touching it to Nketiah. Uh, I'm glad it went the way it did. Although, you know, Eddie's good in front of goal. I'm not, you know. But when Aubameyang got in that position, even in, in his goal-scoring form, I, I did you ever have any doubts? Not even like, a little. Nope. You knew mm-hmm. where it was going. Yeah. And... And, you know, let's put it right. He hasn't been missing chances like that. He hasn't been getting chances like that. We haven't been putting him in those positions. But on, on, to, on to Saka um, and his part in it, I, I think this is so interesting for a number of reasons. And I'm really going to zoom out and go in for the narrative here. like Because every time I watch Bakayo Saka play, did you ever see them? You must have seen the movie Scent of a Woman with um, Al Pacino. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yes yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that movie I feel like Colonel Frank Slade at the end of that movie giving the big three and a half minute speech about um, Charlie who's played by Chris O'Donnell as like I'm Colonel Frank Slade and Picao Saka's Charlie and I'm standing there in front of everyone going protect this guy's future <laughs> because, <laughs> because like this this guy has character and, and that's that's how I feel about Saka. it's not just that he's a brilliant footballer and it's because he has like and given what we've seen in the last couple of games granite jacker grabbing someone's throat and pretending to be the big man that's not character that is the opposite of character that's a quitter that's someone who's taking himself out of the situation for his own ends quitter we've seen it several times and a quitter is like a cheater elliot if someone cheats on you if they do it once they'll do it again mm-hmm. right you say this, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. We've seen it from Xhaka. Quitter. I'm I'm not fucking fooled by that guy pounding his chest and walking off down the tunnel. Fuck off. Quitter. Sabio's first half, gets into a brilliant position and the shot is on in front of goal. And he, he checks back and I'll stop short of calling him a coward for checking back. I do think it was because he was too scared to take the responsibility. But... I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, okay, confidence is low, Enketia is there, all right, pull it back to Enquietia and, and we're square. But then to dive for the penalty, quitter, absolute absolute quitter of a move. And and that for me, like that's Sabile struck off now, like, fuck off, quitter. Not like not not interested, not interested in you pouting and pretending that you're all upset when you've been substituted fuck off you got substituted for a reason and it's because you know Arteta sees you he saw that I saw that and you might fool some people like Granit Xhaka has fooled many people into thinking he's a leader because he does all this performative shite that means nothing quitter no personality personality is what Bukayo Saka did personality is taking the ball when the team is at its lowest ebb and everyone is so low on confidence and like Bumping your way past three players who are all trying gamely to hack you to the ground, who've already like hacked you to the ground a couple of times and you've twisted your knee and everything because you've been trying to do this on your own. Going past those three players, playing that pass, that is personality, that is character, Right. And what Ceballos and Xhaka are doing, that is not character. This is character. The only personality and character that matters, it's not what you say on social media, it's not how upset you look when you've been sent off or you've been subbed. It is, it's is—it's two things. It's what you do when you've got the ball, and it's what you do when you haven't got the ball to try and get it back. And Bukayo Saka has character and personality in absolute stacks. And he absolutely shames a number of the people around him and some of those some of those players should be looking at that and i really hope arteta is like showing them this move on repeat and saying this this is what some of you guys what a lot of you guys are missing at the moment this is what i want to see this is how you dig a team out of a hole not by diving for penalties not by grabbing people's throats this is how you dig your team out of a hole and and that's why I just, I just love that movement. And also like just tactically speaking, that's the value of dribbling, right? We haven't mm-hmm. had enough dribblers for years and years now. That is the value of dribbling. That was really the only time we pulled Southampton's defense out of place. And it's because Saka pulled them out of place by running at them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm just going to take your last three or four minutes of contribution and put them on the end of season highlight reel. Cause I, I th- thought that was well said. Um, I want to do one last thing before we get to the red card and the period after the red card. And, Paul, let's talk about the right-hand side because Tierney, Ceballos, you know, neither had a brilliant game but good passers and got the ball to Saka, and Saka was able to make some things happen. Elneny, Maitland-Niles, not good passers, didn't get the ball a lot to Pepe. As a result, he was more off the ball. I thought Pepe made a couple of really intelligent runs. There was one where he made two runs. He tried to make a run in behind on the right flank, noticed that the ball wasn't going to be able to get there and that the defenders were dropping deep, and so instead he cuts in and makes the run to the top of the box for the cutback, and he has a, a really nicely struck left-footed shot that's blocked on its way to what looked like it might have crept in at the left post, Um, and then he has another one that's blocked in the box from a similar run. I thought his movement off the ball was good. I just think the difference between his game and Saka's, to some extent, is we went back to that left-side bias because on the right-hand side, we didn't have the passers to get him the ball. Um, how did you feel about the way the right-hand side functioned? I thought a positive game from Pepe in some ways in what he tried to do with, without a lot of the ball. But for me, I have to admit, I, I, I did not see this as a good Maitland Niles game. I, I think the things that worry me about him came to the fore again, which is the passing. Um, a lot of sloppiness, a lot of inability to, you know, really move the ball forward. Passing wise. Look, the guy is a much better defender than Hector Bellerin. Much, much better. I, I don't think there's even any debate about that, but, I think his his weakness in possession showed up in this game, and I think it was also part of the reason why Pepe was forced to play more off the ball than on it. So, do you have a do you have a thought about the way the right flank maybe didn't function as well as the left flank? Again, always great grading, <laughs> grading on a curve in this moment.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's all very fair summation. I think I've seen better passing games from Maitland Niles at right back and even left back on his wrong foot, um, than this. But it's certainly the concern with him. He can be slow. You know, he maybe he also had a couple of moments where he maybe took took the easy flick or pass to drop us in it and and turn over um, possession. And that's kind of a like a, a reading the room focus kind of thing. That you know now ain't the time to do a quick flick, uh, back heel and and let's see if we can make something happen here. When you're that exposed, you're now the our right back pal. Um, so yeah, it was it was not his. It was a disappointing game from him. I thought was, I thought he would be better. I thought his passing would be better. I thought where he might let us down a little bit is just uh, final third whipping in the crosses or whatever. Um, if he runs into the box, like I think he's a, good, a decent attacking option when he gets up the field and runs into the box and dribbles and like you'll see defenders back and right off him because mm. he does have the tricks and the step overs and the speed and the pace. His final ball is not going to be great, but that wasn't really his problem in this game. He was a little disappointing playing us up and out. And yeah, you're right. The whole, the whole right side, therefore between him and El Neni, who was maybe a five out of his range of five to six and a half performances out of 10. and. Um, uh, he toiled manfully as usual, El Neni, but didn't really give us much of a spark. <clears throat> I think um, the thing about Pepe is more it was a game of what could have been. Here he had two, as you mentioned, shots on his left foot, um, which were very promising for him. And the the kinds of thing, you know, we got the sack of goal, which is probably about as much as we deserved. Uh, I call it the Saka goal, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, um, and it, you know, it's great. It gets it was a nice goal from a Bamiyang to a nice finish. Um he looked the part and, you know, it gets him <laughs> on the score sheet. It gets us with an open play goal in the last 12 hours, which is always nice. So, I mean, it, you know, if, if we find a way to turn this sucker around, uh, th- that goal and, and this game could be worth its weight in gold. doesn't mean it was a great, it, it was a great or good performance. it was, we're right now. We're going to be scrapping for periods of performance. We had 10 minutes against Burnley, which you can't exactly take to the bank, but it was very good and very promising. We had some good play in this middle section in this game, uh, but Pepe, we, you know, we need to get him firing. Mm. Um, and he had a couple of moments. They could have, they could have broke our way. Could have whipped them in at the uh, that far corner in both cases. I think he hit the goalkeeper down the middle. But it was a classic Pepe chance, and you know, in terms of players, he, he's not a top four player for us. But he was for Lille. He was the best player on the second team in in La Liga, and you know they they had a very uh, a cr- creditable run in the cham- uh, leading into the cha- getting them into the Champions League, and he was the man. So he's a player who's massively underperforming at Arsenal, and that's. Clearly, partly Arsenal mm. that has him in that situation. Clearly, maybe a lack of maturity with the player, not handling the move well. But there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, what we got from Sack on the left, we could so easily have got from Pepe on the right, or he could have just put away one of those two chances, and uh, that's where we got our, that would have been where we got our goal from. He had two moments. And uh, one of them, he I, he hit really well on the volley. I mean that I would say that was going in, but some guy stuck his leg out.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. I, you know the interesting thing. I mean, and, and in fairness to Maitland Niles, I mean he he did make the most passes to Pepe, and like so he was the route to Pepe. I mean, Ceballos really didn't give it to him at all, whereas he and and. Uh, Sorry, not uh, El Neni didn't, whereas he and Sabayos gave the ball to Saka quite a bit more. So, I mean, th- there's something to be said about that. I mean, Bakaya Saka, though, had, let's see here, um, he had fifth, uh, 48 touches to Pepe's 37. So maybe not as lopsided as I thought, especially given the minutes played. But the interesting thing with Maitland-Niles, I looked at his passing, and and I only looked at the first half because the second half is obviously a little bit difficult given the red card but in the first half when we were sort of in the game and could have influenced it more um it was 12 of 21 passing 57 just the 12 completed so you know sort of backs up my assertion that we just weren't doing the easy things right we weren't really uh completing a lot of passes now to be fair they press a bit and some of that was long exits that didn't come off but in general i just thought it was it was sort of a return to the left side bias so i think it is time to get to the hard part of the podcast and that is What happens after the red card uh, and after we score the equalizer and and sort of the end game there and, and how I feel about that versus maybe how I should feel about that and how we should take that. So I think given that that is going to be maybe a prickly kind of part of the podcast, I think it is an opportunity for us to just take a pause and talk about not being prickly. Talk about maybe just taking things a little smoother, making things a little smoother. And you know that the best way to make things a little smoother is a Lawnmower 3.0 from manscaped.com. And if you go to manscaped.com and use the promo code ArsenalVision, you're going to get 20% off in free shipping. So I think you need to go to manscaped.com and use the promo code ArsenalVision and get the Lawnmower 3.0 because you don't want to be prickly, you want to be smooth, especially in these difficult times. Feeling smooth, no abrasions, no no chafing. The world is chafing with us enough right now. We don't need any chafing. And so let me just tell you a few reasons why you should get this. Not only because the Tuesday Club is advertising it too, and uh, we would like our promo code to be the more popular one, although we recognize that's probably asking a lot, but also because um, it has a tremendous battery life. You can leave it in the shower. It's wet, dry. It's got a great charger. It's got ceramic blades, so they don't pull. They don't tug. They don't do anything like that. I mean, I I use it everywhere. Not that you want to know that. Sorry, sorry for sharing, but I mean it's got a guard. You can do eyebrows, you can do sideburns, you can you can do the whole area, all the areas, all the places. And you know what? Soon the pandemic will be over, and the chance for people to actually see how clean shaven you are in person, and not just on Zoom. Not to pull a tube, and you don't you don't necessarily want to have them see all of your clean shaven parts on your Zoom call. So be careful when you're changing windows uh, to to more private endeavors. But look. The Lawnmower 3.0 is going to get you there. It's going to get you clean, smooth, well shaven, no abrasions, no nicks, no cuts. You're not using rusty old razor that's been in your shower for months. Just do it. Use promo code ArsenalVision. That's promo code ArsenalVision. Manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping when you use promo code ArsenalVision. And uh, who knows? Maybe it will be the tool that makes you the, the version of you you want to be in 2021. Uh, much like we hope that Arsenal finds some tool to make them the version. Uh, of themselves that they want to be in 2021. So thank you for bearing with me for that. Now back to our regularly scheduled broadcast. And uh, Tim, I think it's time to talk about the way we played after the red card. I don't want to set this up, I think, by saying, here's why I'm right in my view, and then having you and Paul sort of defend why that's not the case. So I think what I'd rather do first is just say, you know, the interesting thing is after we scored the equalizer, People will remember this game based on what happened after the red card. The thing that's frustrating to me is even before the red card, we totally ceded the impetus back to them. They were really controlling the game in the period between our goal and the red card, even though it wasn't a long period. So this was trending in the wrong direction. But I'm curious to get your take just sort of top level. Let's start off the conversation. We hang on for the point, but how do you feel about the way we went about trying to do that for the better part of half an hour.
2: Yeah, sure. So I I listened to the instant reaction pod. So I, I, you know, heard yours and uh, yours and Clive's conversation about this, which which I thought was um, really good and really entertaining. Um, I I probably, so I I'm with you in terms of on one hand, I think even if you're hanging on for a point, having 10% of the ball is not actually the most logical way to do that. Even if you don't want to create, Possessing the ball at least a little bit takes some of the pressure off you, and it's probably not the most logical way to do it. That said, I, I do think Clive made a, a good point in counter about what Spurs did to us when they had the result that they wanted against us. They, you know, they possessed the ball probably about 20% um, in the second half of, of the North London derby. Um, but even then, that's that's 20%, um, and they're a team that's very schooled at playing on the counter anyway. So I, I I'm I'm with you on that. My so my read of it is basically that uh, I completely understand why it happened. I also happen to think that David Luiz and Rob Holding are better defenders doing this. I think you know you you both said that you thought Rob Holding played well and he did, but that's because this is the kind like this is going to sound really unkind. Rob Holding looks good because he's playing for a team in fifteenth in the premier league. And, and I kind of think that's what he is. Mm. Um, like he was linked with Newcastle. There's, there's a reason for that. Um, and, and I don't mean because like he's terrible, but I mean, that's the kind of defending he suits. I think clearing the box, getting his head on things, you know, defending his own box, basically. Um, so I, I kind of understand why it happened. I also think a substitute, a substitution, Mikel Arteta made revealed a lot when he hooked Subbios for Willock. Um, I do think part of that was because, um, you know, maybe sending a bit of a message to Sabayos about some of his, his play and the the, instant, the incident I referenced earlier. Mm. But also, like, you know, I mean, a midfield of Sabayos and Elneny can possess the ball. Um, they won't do a lot with it, but they can possess it. When you take Sabayos off for Willock, why are you doing that? You're doing that because we saw it, like, a minute after Willock came on, he ran the ball forward 20 yards and he won a free kick. That's what Arteta wanted at that point, right? He wanted someone who could carry, win a free kick, take the pressure off. Um, he didn't believe in the ability of his team to hold the ball for any period of time, um, which I kind of get because they're not good at it. As for how I viewed this, um, I think it will it will entirely depend on what follows because I'm more inclined to agree with Clive's take that, you know, confidence comes back slowly and this is one brick and you go back brick by brick by brick. But it will depend on what happens next against Everton. So, again, like absent the result, if the performance is slightly better against Everton as a consequence of getting this point, then and let's say, you know, let's say we draw against Everton and we're just all right. That's an improvement. And then I'd be inclined to think, OK, that was a worthwhile point. The, the way I kind of think of it, um, to, I, I, I'm going to go a bit poor here with my analogy. We had to do disgusting, craven things to get this draw, right? Mm. And probably what we've got right now is like post-wank clarity. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I, you know I that, that makes like me feel a lot less uncomfortable about myself. myself. <laughs> so, so like without putting to well, I'm not going to not put too fine a point on it. I'm going to put a very fine point on it. You know, sometimes you get the post-wank clarity, the tissues are there. Oh, there's God. like items from the fruit drawer in the fridge, oh, you know, that you delete all your internet history, you get rid of it and you're like, oh, God like, God, like I've done this now. I need to get rid of all of this paraphernalia, delete my my internet history oh my and just God. forget that you're in the baby's happened.
1: room for god's sakes <laughs>
2: <laughs> now if now that that's how we need to treat the last half an hour of this game is we did something horrible and disgusting and we got what we needed we got the short-term kind of um you know the short-term hit that we needed let's never speak think about it again and let's never do it again let's clear it all away we will not be analyzing this this will not be coming up in our like video analysis sessions we did something craven and disgusting to (laughs) get to get to get our point that's it, like, dumb. Let's never do that again because let's never be in the position where we have to do that again. And let's use that as the building block for, like, Everton and Chelsea. And who knows, maybe we'll even be 1-0 up in one of those games. Ha, 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 with with 10 minutes to go. And that experience of defending our box will come in useful for, you know, hopefully not as much as half an hour, but maybe 5, 10 minutes we need to hold out in one of the upcoming games. Maybe that 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 will be useful for us. For me, it needs to be a one-off, and if it's a one-off, it's kind of fine. If it isn't, and if we're like nil-nil with Everton on sixty-one minutes, and we start doing that, it's a problem. It's terminal, mm. um, you know. So, so that—that's how I'm looking at it. It's about what comes next, basically. Yeah. It needs to be a building. It needs to be a jumping-off. That's what it needs to be. So, setting aside that you've sort of broken my brain a little bit with the analogy. Um,
1: let me just lay out my perspective as sort of c- clearly and logically as I can absent any sort of emotive language. Cause as I said, at the beginning of the podcast, I came into the instant reaction pod a little bit fired up from kind of being savagely disagreed with on social media, which fair enough, by the way, yeah. you know,
2: like fair enough. And, and and just to put like a coder on that, I I, I do think listening to the instant reaction pod like I wouldn't say that Arsenal deserved credit for that or it showed fight or anything like that like it's it's a credit neutral you know Got they it. did yes. it they kind of needed to do it they don't really deserve credit for it
1: so setting aside whether I think trying to battle for a point in this game was right i mean there's a part of me that says like we we've let our expectations fall so far we still should have tried to get all 3 at home to southampton here but i, I where i will give in is i'm completely sympathetic to the idea that this team just needed a point Totally fine. My argument isn't that we battled for a point. My argument is we didn't battle. We got lucky. This is bad process. If we play that way in that situation 10 times in a row, nine times we lose and one time we get the draw. So I think saying we battled for a point misrepresents it, and I'll explain why. We were out past 246 to 21 during that period. In the final third, we were out past 89 to 2. In the penalty area, fourteen to zero. They completed fourteen passes inside the penalty area. Okay, um, they completed roughly ninety nine percent of their passes. Uh, or sorry, not ninety nine percent, but like ninety one percent of their passes to our fifty five percent. Now here is the thing: we took off Eddie Nkedi. That look, I I know that we lost a, a center back, but we didn't really lose a center back. What we did is we took one player off the pitch, and the player we took off the pitch was a striker who had twenty three touches in sixty four minutes or 66 minutes, whatever it was, 23 touches. So the suggestion that when you take a player off who had 23 touches, who wasn't really in the game from a possession standpoint, and by taking that player off who was never really that involved anyway, you are now going to be outpossessed 90 to 10, that you cannot complete more than 55% of your passes, that you can't push them out of your box so that they are completing literally 10% of their, you know, 5% of their passes inside your penalty area that they are completing a third of their passes in your final third. The thing that bothered me wasn't just the concession of possession completely, but the willingness to sit so deep. I was on the hot mic, and I said the irony is right before the Redmond chance. I said, look, we're really pinned back here. We're pinned so deep in our penalty area. We've got to push out a little bit. We've got to push the lines out a little and let... And, and get some pressure on the ball. If you don't pressure the ball this close to our goal, they will find an opening. And like a second later, I think it was Vestergaard or whatever, chip that ball over the top to Redmond because he was under no pressure. You don't have to be a sens- sensational footballer if you have 10 yards of space at the top of the box. You know what it reminded me of, guys? Ironically, how the teams play us in the Europa League. And we see how our mediocre players suddenly look like, you know, peak pick a player. You know, peak Mesut Ozil, I hate to invoke his name. But... Um, when, when they're given that much space and time around the area. So it's the two things. It's the complete abdication of, of any responsibility to possess the ball at all. That we're not going to try to pass to each other at all. We're not going to try to kill the game off by having some of the ball. It's also the complete abdication of territory. That we're not going to press the ball. You know, when you if you say something is a battling point, I expect to see... We're in their shorts. We're on the ball. We're making tackles. They're they're struggling to to complete the passes. They're trying to bring it over the halfway line to pressure us, but we're, we're in their face. There was none of that. We didn't expand the accordion at all. We shrank into our box and gave them all of the opportunity. And to be fair, if James Ward-Prowse had his normal game of delivering crosses and set pieces, we'd be in a lot of trouble. The thing that I think deserves a lot of credit, holding especially, is just that they never troubled us from set pieces, and they're one of the best teams in the league at that. So, you know, that is... That is sort of where I come down on this. And think about it. There was a game during the Emory era, towards the end of the Emory era, where we went down to 10 men against Aston Villa. And it's some of the best football we played under Emory. We were down a goal. We were down a man. And we battered them and won it 3-2. Now, this Southampton is better than that Aston Villa. But they're not Barcelona. Peak Barcelona. They're not Manchester City. So I think, again, I understand the point in context was very important what I can't get to intellectually is the idea that we battled for it somehow because we didn't we didn't battle at all we sat in our box we were scared we couldn't pass we couldn't get out we couldn't keep it out past 246 to 21 14 completed passes in the penalty area and a lot of just praying to get away with it and we did and I think we got away with it because Southampton didn't do what they could have or should have done not because we did and you would say oh well, we had a chance too we did we had the header the, the the holding header could have won it and that would have been even better than the draw but if we're going to be focused on process rather than outcome, I think the reason I'm upset is I don't see this. As, you know, People are like, Elliot, you got to stop the rot. I don't see this as stopping the rot. I get that we got the point, and I'm thrilled. But I see the way we played that last 30 minutes as more of the rot, as a scared team that abandoned all of its footballing principles. And my last point, Paul, before I turn this over to you, because I know I'm on a bit of a monologue here. A lot of people on social media their attitudes are like, oh so what? You know, four consecutive home losses, Southampton are, you know, much better than us right now and we're just supposed to go at them down to 10 men? Well, first of all, I would say maybe we should, but no. See, that's the thing that's the false binary. I'm not saying the only options are what we did or go at them. I'm saying the option is have some of the ball, possess it a bit. You know the irony guys, how did we win the FA Cup? How did we play under Arteta early on? We played out from the back. We played around pressure, right, for quick hitting goals. So this should have suited us a bit. Sit in, pass out, have some counters. We didn't do any of that. So I think, no, it's not that we should have gone at them. Of course not. I get where we're at. I get the low ebb we're at. I'm saying, when you're out past 246 to 21 for half an hour by Southampton at your home pitch... Just because you've taken off a 23-touch striker, that doesn't sit right with me. Seeing us... You, you know what it reminded me of, Paul? It reminded me of a League Two side in the FA Cup trying to battle for a replay against the big Premier League team. And so, yes, we're to low ebb. Yes, the point was important. Yes, you sometimes got to dig deep and battle. But I guess what I'm saying is I didn't see this digging deep and battling. I saw this as really a craven abdication of any responsibility to try to keep the ball, to try to push out, to try to put them under pressure and make like life difficult for them. I, I didn't see it as that battling spirited point that other people do. And that's not because I'm a hot ticker. It's just I can't, I can't look at that and get there. So, Paul, you want to explain to me why I'm wrong, why this is a, a battling, credit-worthy, all-hands-to-the-pump rescuing of a point? Because I, I'd love to see that. I just, I, it's not what I saw on my screen.
3: Um... So, like, I guess I think your problem is you're arguing with the different audiences. Like you had a debate with Clive. He had to take on comparing it to Spurs. You had your debate with people on the Twitters who were defending some aspects of the performance. You and I had a a good chat on WhatsApp last night. I mean, my position is this is not how you defend uh, with 10 men against another team. So, uh, like, debating the process, clearly this is not how you do it. Um, I wouldn't defend this process. I hope we never do this again or never feel we have to play this way again to defend with 10 men. But I guess where we depart is, I don't know why you're flabbergasted, confounded that this is where it has degraded to in this game. We shit the bed... There's no confidence. Every time we have something to protect, you know, we we were 1-1. We had this point. We were on for a historic series of five defeats at home. Never, ever been done at the club. Um, we're at a point where people don't know if that was the last game that manager would ever be coach of if everything went tits up. Now, he might not have got fired the day after, but it might have been the game that meant we were spiraling out of control, that players' careers at the club were all about to go tits up, that it was all going to get uglier and uglier and uglier. This is a traumatized team. We know that. Um, so what did we do? We shit the bed. We let's, let's take your scenario. We keep Eddie on or we keep somebody who can hold the ball up a little further instead of, say, bringing in on Willock. Except the manager is thinking he just has this instinct that, The only thing we can do is run like crazy. Now, I'll disagree with you on this. This was a fighting performance. It just wasn't a good performance. It was fighting as individuals, every player doing everything they could individually without relying on the team ethic, uh, without worrying, without believing that the other players will be in the positions, receive the ball, help play out. They all basically said, fuck that. It's every man defending for himself, cover, tackling, running, covering. I mean, it was 110% effort, and it was bad, bad process. It was lowest common denominator because they don't trust themselves, each other. The manager right at that moment said to himself, I don't trust any of this shit. Let's put on some people with some legs who will make tackles, who will cover the box. There's no belief, right? Right. Uh, and so this is not a uh, I guess I'm still flabbergasted because I think you think we're going to take this forward as a plan. It, it wasn't exactly a plan at the time. It was a reaction. It was an absolute shitting of the bed to the fact, oh, my God, we have once again like th- the, the scenario wasn't even planned. Right. A red card. Um and the manager's like, like everybody's just traumatized. It's like, here we fucking go again, expecting bad things to happen. So they put on some players to make tackles and to cover. It's not good. It's not the way you should do it. But I don't think, I guess I don't think it necessarily means anything beyond if in the next game against Everton, guess what I expect to happen if if we're uh, 1-1 with Everton and a guy <clears throat> gets red carded. I expect the same thing to happen again, and I'm not going to be flabbergasted. And I don't know who I'd be arguing with on Twitter about it, but if they really want to tell me that's a great process and this is the way forward and we're turning it around and it was a fighting performance beyond a bunch of guys doing everything they could individually. Well, I, I guess I understand why you get into that debate, but I don't, I just don't think there's a lot to debate here. We're in a bad place. Um, they care. They just don't know. Once they're, once they're under the cosh or it feels like things are going bad, it just degrades into a bunch of players running around trying to do what they can do. We need. What's the way forward? Well, we need some luck. We need some breaks. Uh, the things that are somewhat not under our control, because we're going to get games back to back unless we get some luck. If we had a two two week break they could work on something. If we could get some players back, but we've lost them. We you know, we weren't planning to lose Gabrielle. Now Gabrielle's out, I guess, for one game. Mm. Um don't worry, Shaq is it, back. It's all good. Yeah. So like we're just rattled. And it's it's only when we're all clear what we need to do. We're a goal down. We need to be aggressive and play that we can play. But as soon as we're one goal up against mm a half-decent team, or 1-1, one, one, we're going to get ultra-conservative, not trust each other. It's going to be like this for a while until we get lucky and we get a couple of results. Or, you know, more likely is it gets worse. Yeah. and um, yeah, uh, This could have been... the This game absolutely... C- felt to Arteta and these players like this was the nadir at this holy fucking shit we were 1-1 with 11 players we just lost a player oh fuck this is it in the next 10 minutes it's all going tits up it's Emery 2.0 uh we're all fucking toast
1: you, you know what's interesting to me Paul it's just I guess it's the hard part is that like I like for example we weren't great against United in our win at Old Trafford but I saw some process there that I can get behind and say, because look, that that win, I celebrated that win lustily. I was not in the group of people who were like, well, we kind of wrote our luck there. No, screw that. That was That's a win at Old Trafford. You take it. Was it vintage? No. Did it have some of the same old problems of chance creation? Yes. But we pressed in the first half, and that pressed resulted in challenges for them. We did some things that I can point to and say, that's some good process there. The irony is, we went down to ten men against. Le- Were we down to ten men against Leeds? I feel like we've been down to ten men against yep. everyone. Yeah, we went down to ten men against Leeds. We get a draw against Leeds that we probably didn't deserve. And what's weird is I remember people felt that game was crap. Nobody was saying, "Oh, great battling draw." This was worse in my view in terms but, of how we. But approached. do you not
3: see how how those games are apples and oranges? That you know, if we'd lost two uh, one to United, uh, Arteta wasn't getting sacked. No, no, no. I, so I get your point. This was this was. Backs. This, this was is a game on its th- yes. own. Now, it might not be the last game of its type. Like the next Everton could. Well, it won't be as bad because it won't be five losses in a row. Like this was it. All right. Well, this is like a, I had another analogy for you on the WhatsApp. If you are a, a tightrope walker and you can walk between two buildings, no problem. Just at 10 feet high off the ground, you can do it with your eyes closed. You can do it on your hands. Now, if you've got a fear of heights and they put you a thousand feet up in the air, let me tell you what I'm going to do as a tightrope walker. I'm going to get down on my hands and legs and I'm going to clamber across the other side. And you can tell me all you like, Paul, you can do that a thousand times out of a thousand times. I am fucking shitting myself and I'm going to do lowest common denominator to get across there. And yes, it wasn't the best way to make sure we didn't concede a goal, but it was the one way we knew how to do it. Now, my, it 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 opened the additional possibility of conceding, but they knew what to do. Don't trust anybody. Tackle. Run. Keep it simple.
1: OK, and and, and I think. I mean, actually, Tim, I think you said it best. We did some terrible, disgusting things that you let's never speech. speak of them again. Um, yeah, but that's but, it. But Tim, I guess what I would ask because because Paul just said we knew what to do. Run tack- like maybe this is what I'd want to ask you. Tell me the things we did to earn that draw that were good, other than just getting it. Like, like I, you see what I mean? Like, what was a thing in your view watching that they said at least we're doing this well to earn this draw? Like, did we? Did we put them under pressure? Did we make it difficult for them to find the entry pass? To I, I guess you could say we defended set pieces well. Like, what are the things that you would characterize? Because, like in the athletic article, there's a big athletic article that came out in Ornstein and, and and James McNicholas article Gunner blog um, about sort of the decline of Arsenal. It's not really about this game, but it touched on this game and it talks about you know a, a battling draw basically. Um, what what are the signs of those battle? That you see, can you point to anything specifically that you you liked in the way we battled for the draw? Because I. I am totally willing to get behind fighting for a draw to stop the rot in the position we were in. I don't love it, but I can get behind it. My issue isn't that; it's that I didn't particularly see that. So, do you do you want to help me see that in any way, if possible?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it, it it wasn't big or clever, but we we gave them the the flanks, we loaded the box, and we just said put crosses in and we'll head them out all day, and that's basically what we did. The only the, the time because uh, here is. Here's the thing. And and look, this is stuff that teams have done against us many, many times because it is difficult. It is difficult. Now, can you play like that realistically for 90 minutes? No, definitely not. Um, 25 minutes, you probably can. Um, If Hmm. you play a team like that you probably don't score in the first 25 minutes. You have to be patient. So I I think there has to be a separation. Well, in terms of, again, the context that it was the last third of the game um, as well. So it was like, it was a longer period of time than we'd have liked, but it was was still a, a compressed amount of time. Um, you know, had, had we gone down to 10 men in the 30th minute and done that, there's just no way, absolutely no way that would work for that amount of time, but they, they could see the finish line and, and they went crawling towards it. Um, and I think the defending in the penalty area was good. I think Southampton, they had that one chance with Redmond that hit the bar. And yes, we we got a bit lucky there. They had, um, is it is it Jeanette Pro? Uh, yeah, Pro,
1: yeah, he snuck in on the right like, side. He was open.
2: Yeah, who dribbled through. But even then, like, holding got to him. I thought holding. Um, I thought yeah, holding did well when we were down to Reddit. That that would be a silver lining there. Yeah, he marshaled the defense yeah, like holding and Luis. Like they, yeah, they fair. both mm-hmm. did because, like, what what do they both want to do whenever we come under pressure? Anyway, like uh, we saw it, um, you know, in the FA Cup semi final against Man City as well. Like David Luiz likes defending on the six yard line. That's where he feels comfortable. That's where he runs to when we come under pressure. Anyway, um, so so again, that's not like big or clever, but that was the tactic. Um, like I said, we brought on Willock, I think, because Arteta wanted someone who could run the ball up the pitch a bit. Um, but again, we we just didn't have enough about us to do that often enough. So And, and I know, look, I know these are like performative um kind of gestures but you could see like the high fives between holding and louise like i thought holding and louise looked uh, because it's 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 center it's almost like center back heaven right it's like oh yeah i get i get to do all the shit i like to do um and i don't have to expose myself i just get to defend my six yard line which you know if every center half was honest with themselves that's kind of what they want to do it's when you ask them to do more than that that they become potentially exposed and they might look stupid and you get them playing out from the back and that's risky. You get them pushing up. People can run in behind them. If you gave every center half the choice, um, just based on their own like selfish needs and wants, that's how they want to defend. Just, yep, stick me on the six yard line, have like seven other people in the box with me. I'll head things out all day. I'll block shots, etc., etc. And, and so that's kind of what we did. Not big, not clever, not tactical genius, but, but, you know, there's a reason that like managers like, I mean, he's not at the moment with with Sheffield Wednesday, but there's reason managers like Tony Pulis and, and the likes can make this stuff work, even though they don't have brilliant defenders, because sheer weight of bodies does count for something over 90 minutes. um you know, so so I guess I'd push back on your contention that nine times out of ten Southampton would win it. I think maybe six or six seven okay. times out of ten. Well, that's because it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard. It, it is hard when teams do that and they don't give you much away. And and Southampton didn't create that much. And actually, the way Southampton play, they don't like putting crosses in the box. That that's not how they play. They play with two strikers who bob about everywhere and they have their two wingers come inside. Like, like the goal they scored through Walcott, that is the kind of goal they love to score in those half spaces. Mm. Ings, Che Adams, they, they don't relish like going and um, Walcott, like, like they brought Walker off um you know because as as we've seen over many many years there's no point in having theo walker on if um if you're just pumping crosses into the box he can't really cross the ball and he definitely isn't going to head one in for you so Mm. they kind of had to take him off so like not big not clever i i do think i think it was battling in a sense i i kind of agree like it was also like a bit craven in that it wasn't especially brave it was you know it was absolute like last ditch lunge your car keys um you know kick the guy in the balls and run away kind of stuff <laughs> um but but that that's I, I said that's what we had to do to survive i mean i mean maybe if we we're a bit more confident we wouldn't have to do that to survive but um yeah so I, I i don't think there was any like brilliant plan i don't think there's anything i can tell you that would that would um you know make you back away from your view there. But I, I do think it was battling in a sense in that. I think a team that has given up doesn't do that.
1: That's that's very fair. And I, I mean, I think it is hard for me f- any time I see an Arsenal football club on the pitch team on the pitch that can't keep the ball, can't pass to a teammate, can't push out a little bit, can't get out of their box. You know, I can think back to some of the times we played Barcelona and their absolute pump. Um, you know, or, or some of the Bayern Munich games, there's a little bit of that. Some of Manchester City, when we were kind of in decline and, and they were in the ascendancy, and like there was some of that. Um, we've even had a couple games against Liverpool at Anfield, but at the Emirates against Southampton, even if they are a pretty good Southampton team, to be out past 246 to 21 over a half hour, you know, and and, and knock it out of our box, it was hard for me to watch. And I think that taking off a 23 touch Eddie and doesn't mean you have to play that way. But maybe I am simply not accepting the the depths of of the nadir we are in at this point and and that getting out of it any way possible. And to, to Paul's point that the only thing that matters is not having that fifth consecutive loss at home. and And we didn't, and that's great. And so I think we can sort of wrap it up there. But before we do, I just want to sort of ask Paul, I guess the other issue with playing this way, I think a little bit is you're looking for a foothold. The funny thing about the Burnley game is we played decent. We really did. Going down to 10 men cost us the chance to win a game we would have won. We weren't great. I'm not saying we were great. The fact that we lost it had people losing their mind, but there were parts of that game where we played better, accessed central spaces better, had better exchanges around the edge of the area, things that you wanted to see. My worry now is we play an Everton team that just beat Leicester 2-0. We're not going to have our our best central defender in my view. Um, we're not going to have Thomas Party, certainly, and you know our, our best midfielder. And we're going up against a team that that has a little something about them, and coming off a big win. I, I guess what I would say is coming off a game like this, where you know you've you've played in that fashion to battle out a draw. I mean, how do you see this leading us into the Everton game? I I have to admit, I'm really worried. Now, no, nothing would surprise me less if all of a sudden you know I turn out to be wrong, and the one the one one draw was all we needed to arrest the decline, and we go and we smash Everton. But I am a little bit worried that going to Goodison Park on Saturday. Coming off a game where where we had to play in that way and and not having Gabriel and not having party, like I I'm I'm concerned. So I mean, do you do you share that concern, or do you think that this point can be the foothold for for a turnaround?
3: Yeah, I mean, maybe this is at the root of why we are such different creatures, you and I. I mean, going into Everton, I mean, I'm assuming we're screwed. <laughs> like, you're you're going to be the end of it, upset about this that, and the other. I'm going to be like, yep, yeah, that's. So, so can I stop you for one could, second,
1: actually? Because I didn't put good yeah. context into the question I want to ask you. I think the reason I'm, I, I'm worried, so like part of the reason I would have liked to have seen us push for something more against Southampton at home is because it's Goodison Park on Saturday. It's Manchester City in the Cup on Tuesday. It's Chelsea in the League on Saturday. And, I, you know, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if we lost all three of those games heavily. So I felt we sort of needed sure.
3: more than what sure, we did. Sure, but if you, I'm on the tightrope... Yeah, yeah, if I'm on a tightrope between two buildings, I don't give a fuck what I'm doing tomorrow, right? So it's you not don't good. Have the luxury. That's, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you want to... Sur- like, we are geared to, first off, above all other things, first, survive. That's what last night was. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't good. It wasn't even the best way to survive. It was the simplest way to survive. Get 10 players around who will be physical, make tackles, stick close together. That was it. That was the plan. Because if the plan had been more advanced, there was no confidence. And to do something more than last night required some level of belief in yourself and others and the plan. And everybody just realized that they expected the worst things in the world to happen and there was no trust. So they said, screw that. We'll all just sit deep, make tackles, be physical, head the ball out lowest, lowest uh, denominator football we can have. Now the problem to your point is we now go to Everton and we've to uh, reflate ourselves to play actual football. I think it'll be kind of like the start of the game against Southampton where we're not we want we're trying to go through the motions of playing football where we trust each other while we really know we don't. then they'll go up a goal at some stage. That will clarify our situation and we'll play better football. The only problem is we might find out they're even better again. So it may not go, it may not have the same arc as the Southampton game. But I think Southampton's, are, the Southampton game uh, with with Everton being a little stronger is exactly what we're lined up for the next time round. This this point hasn't fixed anything, but it stopped things getting worse. Um and maybe things got a little worse. Maybe to your point, that last 20 minutes um, does take a little bit away from our confidence the next time round. but not as much as losing. So that was that was the deal they thought they had. They didn't think this was good process or the right thing to do or the way to go into Everton except to beat the alternative And the alternative was catastrophic and humans avoid uh, catastrophe above all else. They don't think of Everton and City and whatever. So, yeah, we're in trouble going into the Everton game. But uh, like when we went to go down to Southampton, I didn't like it. But there was a part of me that says, well, this at least clarifies our thinking as a team. We now know we need to go for it. We need to trust You don't worry about should you, could you, you know, what to what degree do I trust? To what degree do I take a risk? They just have to fucking go for it. And it may be the same with Everton that they go up a goal. Then we see them actually kind of throwing that doubt to the wind. They'll have a little less nervousness nervousness Mm. because it's not the fifth home defeat in a row that's uh, on the table. That, and the fact that it's Everton and it's away from home gives them a little freedom to, you know, the, the, losing 1 0 or 2 0 is not totally catastrophic at Everton. It's bad.
1: Well, at this so, point, nothing's can, catastrophic short of relegation, right? Because the season, for all intents and purposes, is dead. So.
3: <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, la- last night was catastrophic if we lost. Like, Arteta could well, he might not have got fired yesterday, but. Like, imagine being the manager, the first manager in Arsenal history in 130 years to lose five home games. That's catastrophic. I mean, he might, for all the support from the club, I mean, Emery had the support of the club, right? They absolutely intended to keep him for that season. As I had said all along, I just didn't realize how bad it could could turn on him. If it goes down, it keeps going down. Yesterday could have been, I don't mean it could have been bad from an overall how our season goes. It could have been literally the end. It's basically a form of death, right? Uh, Arteta sacked or slow motion sacked. Players knowing that that it's all going to go ugly, finger pointing at each other. I mean, the, those, that was a desperate time beyond a result. We okay. may look back at it at the end of the season and feel it was just one more bad game, but it could well have been history in the making last night. No, that's not fair to be.
1: Yeah. You don't, not you not to be w-
3: too hyperbolic and the Everton game won't be so they can play just a little bit less scared. Um, because it, it wouldn't be a catastrophe to lose one nil at, at, Everton.
1: Yeah, no, I'll be, and I'll be curious to see if there, if there is a freedom there, Tim, I'll, I'll just finish with this. I mean, after the Derby, we had Dundalk away, Burnley at home, Southampton at home, and it was a run of three games to, you know, not that anything's easy for us right now, but to maybe just kind of figure out who the players are to go to, who who the guys are that he can lean on, what the formation is he can depend on before Everton away, City in the Cup, and Chelsea in the league. Um, it's a tricky three-game run. Granted, the EFL Cup doesn't matter, so who cares? But, um, you know, you don't you don't want to lose heavily to Manchester City regardless. Coming off this game, I mean, I think the biggest challenge now for Arteta is just who does he have the confidence to pick? I mean, I don't think Enciente was <laughs> very good. Ceballos, for a lot of the reasons you covered, was not. Elneny was not. Uh, Gabriel was sent off. Party's not available. Shaka, the last time he was on the pitch, disgraced himself. So how does he bring him back? Maitland Niles passed he's suspended.
2: 60- oh, he's a- is he? It's Three matches. Yeah,
1: that was no. It was two. That's a three match ban.
2: No, uh, it it was a straight red. So the yellow card oh. he got was uh, was uh, was. I thought it was two yellows. Out. No, no. Was, no okay, straight red. So, so he can't pick Shaka
1: Maitland. niles passed at sixty one percent. So you say, you know, was he an improvement on Belarina? I just think I look all throughout the team coming off this performance and the Burnley performance and the, you know, the the, the position we're in. The biggest challenge he has now is a three game run that's tricky, and I'm not sure he's come away with a lot of confidence other than maybe. Oba Pepe and and Saka. I mean, wh- in finishing here, I guess what I would say to you is, what what does he what does he do in terms of picking the team for Everton and and the immediate future on the, on the heels of these last few games? Because I'm not sure that he will have been given any kind of clear signal of what the solution, system wise or selection wise, is for him.
2: No, definitely not. And and look, we've we've been in this cycle for a little while of trying things. Putting some players in doesn't really make a difference. Slightly tweaking the formation doesn't make a lot of difference. Um, I, I guess that's why the confidence point is interesting. If they do it, like, I'm not saying they could come out of this game feeling super confident, but if they feel a little less like the world is ending, um, then, you know, that... that could, so, like, the 3-4-3, for example, wasn't perfect, but it wasn't, dre- like, it wasn't dreadful. Like, we all... Well, most of us kind of wanted to move on from it and see a bit more. Um and and you know, maybe that was that was misguided of us, me, maybe we're not capable of that at the moment. Um but uh, I mean, th- there isn't really an answer to that. We've we've been searching for that answer for a little while. Well the thing we haven't discussed on this podcast is William and Lacazette didn't get on the pitch. Um, you know, William was was finally actually dropped um for this game and sure, look without the red card i'm sure we see both of them um sure we see both of them come on in that last 20 minutes um and you know maybe may like in in an alter in an, like an alternate universe somewhere um gabriel doesn't get sent off william comes on in the 70th minute um scores one sets one up and we all feel better about him um we we're, we're in rearranging deck chairs yeah. territory uh, i am certain that william and lacazette will both start um, against Everton, but obviously they started many a horrible performance anyway. Um, you know, unfortunately the quality's just not really there. Um, you know, particularly when you look at the bench, there aren't that many players you'd look at and go, oh, if, if we play him, like even like, like, let's be honest, right? I, I guess I'd rather see like Rhys Nelson than William, but Reese Nelson's not going to change our fortunes. Um, I don't think. And we we just don't have enough of those players, unfortunately. And and I guess the problem for us is that we've built our team around like our superstar is a guy that just scores goals. Yeah. Um and and is not a guy that, you know, inspires you out of trouble per se. He's a he's a guy, give him half a chance you'll score. That that's who we've built our team around. And so you need to at least be creating chances and we're not. So, you know, I like it. It's difficult for a Bamiyang to inspire us out of this hole when he's, he's not getting the ball um ideally you want your team to I mean like look ultimately you don't want your team to be built around one individual you want a collection of players but if it is going to be built around one individual you want it to be someone like Alexis Sanchez who can handle that and who can set up and score goals and do stuff by himself that that's not who a Aubameyang is and that's kind of who our team is built around at the moment um, so I, I'm i really not sure. I'm not sure there is anything he can do other than rearrange those deck chairs again. Probably go with Willian and Lacazette again. Um, you know, I, I do think there has been a little bit of promise in this kind of split striker role. He's been trying to, you know, to get a Bamiang like off of that touchline. Um, and if we can just keep 11 players on the pitch and sustain, and we've been better, I think, when we've been confident enough to attack at sustaining pressure, like so, it's I, I guess my optimistic read here is that I do think when I look back at these games that Arteta is aware of what the deficiencies are and he's trying to fix them. The fact that he's kind of put Lacazette back into that number 10 role, that that's because he knows that we have no presence in that part of the pitch. That the problem is that Lacazette is not the player to solve it. And the player to solve it probably doesn't exist in the current squad. Um, you know, absenting the fact that Mesut Ozil is not in the squad. So he, he, he is at least recognizing the issues and he's trying to address them with the tools he has. It's just the tools he has are not great. They're like they're better than this, but they're still not great. So I, I think it will probably be more of the same um, and just hope that the intangibles, that the confidence builds a bit. So at least maybe in a month's time, we can have the conversation again about hmm, the three, four, threes average. Um, can we do more? rather than the conversation we're having at the moment which is is it okay to have 20 what 21 touches in the last half an hour at home to southampton because we're so desperate for a point and we're we're at such a low ebb um you know can we get can we get back to the discussion where how do we go from average to good rather than how do we go from terrible to average yeah
1: yeah that's exactly right um you know the shame of it with the red card and red cards always destroy a game, but th- this game, the shame of it is, my takeaway from this Southampton game was all poised to be, wow, we played really well once we went behind, because we did from goal down to a goal to, to equalizing. I mean, really good on, grading on a curve again, but you know there was something there. And it's a shame because now, I mean, the way that game finished, I, I don't know what building blocks you have uh, other than just the point. So we'll see. Tim, I think that's a good synopsis of it. I'll be curious to see who he picks for Everton, but... I tend not to say I feel for managers because, like, they get paid a lot of money to have a really high-profile job, and this is what they sign up for. So, but I do feel for them because I don't know who he picks. Tim's on Twitter. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Paul's on Twitter. my Thanks, Paz. Analytics pod coming tomorrow. More football on the way and hopefully more fun football. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Everton Mills.